Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Hours from now, President Biden will deliver a very rare for him Oval Office address on foreign policy, specifically focusing on recent events in the Middle East and in Ukraine. This comes just a day after he announced a deal with the Israelis and the Egyptians to allow some humanitarian aid to go into the Gaza Strip by way of Egypt. The president saying it will be distributed by the United Nations and adding this. If Hamas confiscates it or doesn't let it get through, it just confiscates it, then it's going to end because we're not going to send any humanitarian aid to Hamas if it's going to be confiscated. Also, it's going to go down on their permanent record. He will see to that. The news infuriating some who felt this issue of aid was a key bargaining chip that we should be using to bring the hostages home. Uh, It wasn't done. A group representing hostage families saying in part, quote, we remind you that children, babies, women, soldier, men and the elderly are being held underground like animals without any human conditions. And the government of Israel is treating the murderers to baklava and medicine. Understandably, they are upset. Meantime, there's a new interview circulating of Israeli first responders. A warning first. What you are going to hear is disturbing in this clip. The man speaking is with an organization called Zaka, Z-A-K-A. It is the Hebrew acronym for Disaster Victim Identification. He has worked for the organization for 33 years. This is a group that's trusted uh, even by some of Israel's detractors when it comes to information. Uh, So he's worked there for three decades and has been all over the world responding to terror attacks. At a press conference, he described how he found the bodies of one family. We went in the first house we saw. was a couple, father and mother, sitting there on the knees, on the floor. They were on the knees, now they were head down, hands tied to the back. On the other side of the dining room was seven-year-old boy and a girl. I would say about six years old. 
sitting just against the, the parents. Hands tight to the back. Same position. The bodies were tortured. While now, start to use imagination. Who was tortured before? Who saw if this was if this was a purpose, if this was the children looking at the parents being tortured, the parents seeing, and when I say tortured, I will say missing body pieces. An eye, just taken out an eye, one eye, fingers being, fingers being All, all this happened, and by the end, they all had a bullet. Mm. My God, you think about what the families went through and what, what the first responders have had to go through. You can see even that man's trauma in having come across the crime scene. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Joining me now, Bethany Mandel and Carol Markowitz, co-authors of the book, Stolen Youth. Carol's also a New York Post columnist. Bethany and Carol, so good to have you here. I hope you're doing okay. I, I gotta say, I have, I have, I've just been checking in with my Jewish friends lately, and I am taken aback at how many of them say thanks to our show and to other shows and other people speaking out about this in a fair way, because because it's not uniform, because the split has been almost immediate to blame Israel. Ah, uh, you know, it's this is just like our priors, you know, like whatever, like some on the left. Well, I, I guess we're in favor of the brown skinned people and not the white supremacist uh, colonializers. That's kind of our typical. And I just I just wanted to say that I I hope you're OK, because I realize this has been a time in which Jewish people here in America are reeling seeing these anti-Semites reveal themselves from corner to corner here in the country. Absolutely. It's been an extremely tough time. I think Jews across the world are reeling, but I really do think that people like you have been such a bright spot. I'm not just saying that because I love you and I'm on your show, but you really have made an extremely difficult time better where you know, we feel like the world's gone crazy. Like, did they see what happened on October 7th? Did they forget already what the images that they were shown? Hamas live streamed it. There was no room for, did this happen? Did this not happen? It, it happened. And to have people like you speaking out, it really has been, you know, a point of optimism for us where it shows that there are people who are sane, there are people who are good, and there are people who will defend us from the most horrific, you know, crimes possible. Thank you. I'm it, please in, in no way fishing for a compliment. I just wanted to say I've been taken aback at how many people. Oh, but you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. But to me, it's like I'm sad to see so many of my Jewish friends writing me saying thank you. Like, 
it, my voice should be so lost in a ubiquitous chorus of condemnation that it shouldn't stick out in any way, shape or form. But that's yeah. not the reality, Bethany. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that you're speaking out. I mean, I think it's easy to say I I stand against these atrocities. I mean, I I personally had avoided listening to that news conference, um, and uh, because it's really painful. But I think that the difference between you and a lot of people is, um, it's easy to say, you know, this was terrible, whatever. But what I've watched you doing with admiration and gratitude is that you're going toe to toe with people who are at best silent and at worst excusing it and trying to, you know, what about and second guess. And honestly, it, it's it's Holocaust denial. What we saw on October 7th was a Holocaust. And we're watching people in real time question what they're seeing and what was live streamed. Um, and so, you know, wonderful. I'm glad so many people have spoken out against what happened. But I think that it takes uh, an exceptional bravery and exceptional chutzpah to stand up and say to people who are denying and who are silent, um, I see you, I see what you're doing and it's disgusting and not enough people are doing it. And, you know, speaking on behalf of the Jewish people, thank you for doing it. Oh, I mean, Bethany, hasn't it been so revealing when you see, like, to me, it's been shocking because it's almost like people had a mask up, people I liked, people I respected. And now the mask is off. You know, it's like they couldn't, care less. There are some who are trying to downplay this. There's some on the left who are entirely, it's it's great. We love it. We're cheering it. I didn't know any of those people personally, but there are some who weren't bizarre people who I already wasn't associated with who are quick to say like, eh, you know, it's somebody else's problem or their first instinct. It sounds very Neville Chamberlain-y. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, let's just make sure that we're okay. It's kind of Israel's, I, like, I understand we have foreign interests, foreign policy interests of our own. Nobody here, including you two, I'm sure wants to see America rush right in. Let's have war with Iran. Let's do this thing. That's that's straw manning, right? Like if you're going there, you're misrepresenting what the real issue is right now. Yeah. I mean, we saw Hamas go into all of these homes to kill Jews. That was their objective. And newsflash for everyone here in America, there are Jews here too. And when you say that Israel doesn't have the right to defend itself against a massacre, you're saying that the American Jewish community also does not have that right, that it is okay with you if Hamas walks into a synagogue, which has happened already. We've already seen terror attacks in American kosher supermarkets and synagogues and schools. And you're telling them they have a free ticket to do that. When I was walking to synagogue last weekend with my children, I gave them an active shooter conversation. I said, oh, if you hear shooting and like, do I want to have that conversation with my four-year-old? No. I mean, really, I had it for my 10-year-old and my six-year-old, but this is not, and, and people heard me on the walk because other people are walking to synagogue. And I said, I feel kind of melodramatic doing this, but also it's a necessary conversation at this point. And so I'm, I'm telling my kids, like, if you hear a gun and you don't see a gun, run. If you see the gun, hide. Because if this gun, if you can see the gun, the gun can see you. And it's it's not a conversation I want to have with my children, but we go to kosher supermarkets, we go to kosher restaurants, we go to synagogue, and this is now a reality. Yeah, you. I mean, I, don't know, I, I keep thinking about my friend, I mentioned him on the show two weeks ago, um, Elliot Steelman, whose wife, Jocelyn, my, my friend, died two weeks before October 7th. And it was 
out of the blue. We were all stunned. She was only 46 years old. And we went to their synagogue on the Upper West Side to pay our respects. And, you know, in the course of a week or two, this family has lost their mother, their wife, and then this, right? It's a Jewish family. It's just one example, but it's a Jewish family living on the Upper West Side that now has to go to synagogue. This poor Elliot's got two young boys. He's got to take them to the Upper West Side synagogue that they go to, Rodef Shalom. And they have to worry about this too. Yeah. Yeah. And now now they, they have to worry about this. Yeah. Rodef always had security. I, I went there. I've gone there for 20 years. I have family that went to Rodef. All major synagogues have always had security. But the difference in the last week is really significant because we, I mean, I, I don't really want to get into like an immigration conversation, but our border is not so great and not so secure. And it's not just people coming in from the southern border through that entry point. And, you know, I I think that Americans who think that this is Israel's problem are naive. Right. I just, I mean, what what are those people going to do, Carol? God forbid. Yeah. I was just gonna say, what are those people going to do? God forbid. You know, we've seen a long history, those of us us who aren't 20 uh, in America of domestic terror attacks, you know, ISIS Mm -hmm. coming up, we've seen them in place to place. And what's to say that, you know, some of these Hamas militants or their sympathizers aren't going to start this. This is a real concern given the amount of Jew hatred we're seeing on open display across the world and in our own country. Go ahead. Yeah. So what I was going to say was, you know, the people who are thinking that, oh, anybody's, you know, cheering on war with Iran or wanting America to get involved. My personal policy preference is America does not get involved. I think in, in a lot of ways, America will hold back Israel from what it needs to do. I think we're sort of seeing that right now with the Biden visit. Um, but beyond that, my policy concerns are in America and they are things like the border and they are things like our lax immigration policies. And they are things like we're not allowed to question any of that. You're, you're racist if you say that our border might lead us to having terrorist attacks, but that's exactly what the concern should be. Um, I I just, the idea that we're pushing any other kind of policy other than really a a very pro-America, American security policy is ridiculous. And that's really, you know, what I wanted to add to that. I mean, Joe Biden has sent two aircraft carriers there to the Mediterranean as a threat to Mm -hmm. Iran and Hezbollah. It's basically the military incarnation of don't what he said on camera the other day. Don't, don't think about it. And, and actually it's a really interesting, I mean, it's, it's awful, but it's an interesting question about whether that signal and warning, which is effectively deterrence is going to hold, is it going to work? You know, where, where are, are people afraid of us? Do they respect us still? I mean, we still are the United States of America. We still have the biggest and best military in the world Does Iran believe that this president would actually unleash it if they got involved? You know, the reports now that Hezbollah is just waiting to see whether Israel does the ground invasion before it Mm -hmm. does get involved and it ignores the don't. All those things we're going to have to watch in coming days. Go ahead, Bethany. Yeah, we just saw 30 rockets come in from Lebanon. I don't think they're waiting for this potential ground invasion. It, It seems like in the last hour, Lebanon has decided to take a really aggressive stance. And I, I have people on the ground in Lebanon or on the ground on the border with Lebanon. I have friends who are serving the IDF and they know that I work in media and I'm getting messages from them like stuff's getting real right over here. Mm. Like I'm, I'm getting those messages in the last half hour. 
That's not good. Nobody wants no. another front to open up. And meanwhile, can we just, because you mentioned you have friends. Um, one of my friends was telling me yesterday, a, a Jewish man who lives here, who's got relatives in Israel, um, you got to think about who's getting called up, right? Like who's getting called up? Like most of these people, yes, you have to serve in the Israeli military for two years, right? If you're in Israel. But, you know, then you go on and you kind of live your life. You know, you kind of become a civilian. Yes, you continue training and so on. But these aren't necessarily warriors, you know, and some are, but a lot aren't. And some of these kids who are in, who are doing their service now are, what, 19? And I realize this is the average age of the soldier in the, who died in World War II, who stormed the beaches at Normandy. I would submit for the record, those guys were a lot more mature than today's 19-year-olds are. We've been infantilizing a whole generation. But Carol, you you do have to think about the humanity of those who are, I realize we're like the 1,300,000 Israeli, you know, defense forces are amassing now. Mm -hmm. I, I feel for them because these are not necessarily the most grizzled soldier Navy SEALs. You know, some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. And and just the, the perspective I think of Israelis is Israelis love life. They want to live their lives. They do not want to be in constant war. They do not want to destroy anybody. I think like you know, the idea that that is being spread on social media right now, that Israeli response should be proportionate and whatever. They're saying that because Israel obviously could level Gaza tomorrow and call it a day, but they would never do that. They love life. And the idea that these, you know, people in their late teens who we would consider children when they're when they're screaming pro Hamas comments on American campuses are going to go off to war. Of course, that's so difficult for Israelis to wrap their minds around. They do have a good military, but they were always hoping not to have to use it. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like the people that are being called up, but so many people are volunteering because they know that this is a life and death situation for them individually, but also for Israel as a whole. Israel cannot continue to allow this to go on. They cannot continue to allow Hamas to exist. They took 200 people from Israel as, as um, you know, the terrorists took them to Gaza. And very little is being said about that throughout the world. Israel notices that they can't allow this to continue. They can't allow these people to continue to operate right next to them. It, it just, it, it's something that's absolutely necessary at this point for them to have to handle. Now, these families in Israel, many of whom have lost someone in this attack on 10-7 or who know a family that's lost somebody. I mean, it's a very close, small country. Now, now they have their sons going off or their daughters going off, like in, in at very real risk of peril and loss of life in what is going to look more like Fallujah if they yeah. start this ground invasion. You know, I mean, it's going to be hand-to-hand -hand urban warfare yeah. that was tough even for our best and, and most grizzled soldiers, Bethany. Yeah. I mean, it's not just their sons and daughters. It's their husbands. I mean, my I'm just going to give you one example. My friend Gabe is my age. I'm 37 years old. He has three children and his wife is a photographer and he works in marketing. He's on the front lines right now. And it's really scary. I was just getting voice memos for him. So when you think about the Israeli, you know, nation and, and the economy, everything has ground to a halt because every single man is pretty much in a uniform right now. And so the offices are empty. The restaurants aren't doing delivery. Like it is all hands on deck right now in Israel. And the people, I mean, no, no one wants to be doing this. No one wants to take off. And, you know, my, my friends are, are doing FaceTime calls with their husbands. And, you know, there, there was a beautiful one of, of a soldier who was, um, naming his baby at his bris on, on FaceTime. 
because he couldn't be at his son's bris. There are, I mean, there are weddings happening before people are deployed. I mean, the, the Israeli public do not want to be doing this, but they need to, they need to, they understand that they need to because Hamas is an existential threat to everyone's safety. And they're holding 200 Israelis hostage, women, children, babies. There's a nine month old that no one knows what's going on. And I want everyone to just stop for a moment and think that there are 200 people, women and children who are in the hands of Hamas and listen back to that first five minutes of your show and remember what they did to people before they killed them. Those demons have 200 people for the last 13 days. What is happening to them? I don't even want to imagine. And that is why this is a crisis and why everyone has responded because it is a country the size of New Jersey. Everyone knows someone who is dead or missing and they understand it could be them, it could be their children and they have to get them back right now. Mm. I mean, it, just the horrors of murdering women and then posting the murders on the Facebook pages and then yep. sending the cutting women to, open and stabbing their fetuses like it's it's beyond horrific it's 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 the worst stuff you, you couldn't even conjure it up it's nazi level no. cruelty torture and inhumanity it, a 100% i mean some of the stuff the nazis didn't even think of so it's i don't understand these people even as human i really don't you, know, you could say i'm trying to dehumanize them i would say they did it to themselves um so what, what do we make then, Carol, of this 100 million? Because we're going to give it, I mean, truly, as I said in the intro, oh, okay, so he's got a finger wagging. You better not let Hamas have any of this 100 million. You, this is for aid for the, the innocent Palestinians who are there. And there are some innocents. Um, but, you know, you better make sure that Hamas does it. If Hamas gets it, you're in a lot of trouble. I can see why the families of the hostages are saying, what about them? Why weren't they even discussed? You know, there maybe something was happening behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe it was. I find it very hard to trust the Joe Biden administration. He goes to Israel and he jokes that the Palestinians need to learn how to shoot straight. Um, and that hundred million for that Palestinian civilians is absolutely going to be stolen by Hamas. Uh, Hamas has posted videos of them removing water pipes and turning it into rocket launchers. I, it's not us or any you know Western or anybody saying this, it's themselves posting this online and showing the, their work. Um, and yet we're giving them $100 million to just do more of this. I really feel like I'm on glue with this. It's it's just, it's such a crazy thing for America and Israel to do. And I, I, I don't believe that President Biden even once mentioned the hostages. And there's, I think, 17 Americans being held of that 200 hasn't said a word about them while he was in Israel. I don't know what his speech tonight is going to be, but I, I have just very low expectations for this administration, and they don't even clear that expectation generally. Yeah, I, I think he made a passing reference. And then later when he was asked, you know, what's going to happen with the hostages? He said, you know, we're, we're, I'm hopeful that we can get them back. So it's possible we have something. There was speculation that, uh, and I think a Hamas leader had suggested that they were going to release all the civilian hostages just, just as long as Israel stopped bombing. So Israel needs yeah. to stop in its retaliation you know, mm -hmm. it's it's exacting of justice and security of its own securing of its own safety. And then mm -hmm. it can have back just the hostages. That'll be the deal, uh, so which Israel's never going to agree to. Uh, and then there was some speculation that perhaps Joe Biden had struck a deal or Blinken had struck a deal for the release, at least of the Americans. And he was going to go over there and meet with the Arabs and say, see, look, I've gotten the Americans back. 
because I do think Hamas knows if you kill the Americans, you start putting out those little videos that you promised of murdering Americans on TV. It's a different ballgame. It's a I hope so. I, I, I don't know. I, I really do hope so. And the thing is, look, I'm a conservative. I I didn't vote for Joe Biden, but of course I'm rooting for him. Of course I'm rooting for him to do Same. the right thing and say the right words and and have action that brings home these American Americans being held hostage. Um, but I just don't see that. I, I feel like I'm again, if I'm wrong, I'll I'll be so happy to be wrong. I would love to see this administration step up and show some strength and really get get those Americans out of there and do the right thing. But I just I see chaos and I, I don't see them you know, putting their acts together at all. And what Rosa said, Bethany, is that the IDF is probably better positioned to get those hostages out of there than anybody, even our guys, because they're just Mm -hmm. much more familiar with this kind of operation there. Yeah, I mean, I would push back a little bit on the, I can't believe I'm saying this on your show. I I will push back a little bit on the negativity about Joe Biden. I like those words (laughs) flowed, but I've spoken (laughs) to family. I don't, I never thought this would happen, but here we are. I've spoken to families who have met with Biden and met with Blinken, and they're they're actually ha- they're happy with how how they're being messaged to, and they're happy with the stance that the Biden administration is taking. Um, and I think that there's things happening behind the scenes um, that are making them feel that way. And I one family told me I think he's a total pos, and I didn't vote for him, but. I think that he's taking this seriously enough. I mean, that conversation that he had on Air Force One, I think that we can all just be honest that he's a few fries short of a happy meal. Mm-hmm. He talks and it doesn't always make sense because he's very elderly. Um, I I don't think that <laughs> I'm trying to be as nice as I can here. Um, you really are. That got even but, Abigail fine and laughing over her seat. <laughs> but the the few fries short of a happy meal situation is what it is we all are aware it is what it is but i don't think that that comment is representative of what's happening behind the scenes with people who are totally with it um and and i i am hopeful that the biden administration is being as as good behind the scenes as i'm hearing from families some of whom yes. are not fans i'm hoping the same um I, i'll just play the comment for those who haven't Heard it. This is Biden on Air Force One on his flight back home, where he went to the back of the plane and started chatting with reporters to the extreme alarm of Corinne Jean Pierre. Uh, here's the comment about not shooting straight, SOT 7. I'm not suggesting that Hamas deliberately did it either. That's that old thing. Got to learn how to shoot straight. Uh, you know, and, uh, and it's not the first time Hamas has launched something that. Okay, so that was the comment. But let me play the comment about getting the hostages out, which I did find interesting because that was the point at which KJP really was like, it's a wrap. And it led me to wonder whether he had revealed something he shouldn't have. It's SOT 9. What about getting people out? Guys, we got to evacuate. We're going to get people out, and I'm not going to go into detail with you now. All right, we got to wrap up, guys. We got to wrap up. We're going to get people out, but I, I can't give you the details now. So that, I don't know, Carol, that sounded to me like he might know something. It was, it was a more definitive than I would have expected. Yeah. 
I hope so. Again, I like nobody's rooting for Joe Biden more than I am right now. Um, but I just, again, I feel like I wish I had more faith in this administration. Um, somebody posted, you know, that about the Iranian hostages in the late seventies and the way that it was on TV 24 seven all the time. And the administration was just talking about it all the time. And even though the Carter administration ultimately, you know, failed at getting them out, but it was, it was a big deal. And this just seems like not as big a deal, which is crazy to me because they have, you know, a potentially up, you know, up to 20 Americans there. I think it's number 17, but, um, and, and it's not a wall to wall topic and it's not constantly being talked about uh, to the administration. So I, I'd love to see them succeed, obviously, and I will praise them if they do. I, I, I by our own lawmakers. Yeah, I've heard a lot of doom and gloom from people thinking that they're all dead. And I think that that's part of why people are not speaking out the way they are. But again, I've heard directly from a family that they have had confirmation from the IDF that their family members are alive. So I, anyone listening who yeah. thinks they're all dead, they are not. Like mm -hmm. there is hope and there is purpose here. And the purpose is getting as many people home as possible. I'm sure that Hamas is prioritizing their, their staying alive. Because yes. they're the most effective human shields Hamas has, the most effective bargaining pieces Hamas has. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so it's not that they care at all about the Israeli lives. It's just that they're useful right now. Can I ask you, though, Carol, because this is the thing that is bothering me. And I, too, and I said this on the show yesterday, I am rooting for our president. I'm rooting for mm -hmm. our secretary of state to navigate this enormous challenge as effectively as they can. Um, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that, let's face it, the Biden policies helped get us here. They helped get us here. And I know that you've been doing reporting on the money that we've been funneling um, to the Palestinians directly in contrast to what Trump did. You know, I mean, Trump, yeah. it's again, you know, that's, this is like the thing about Trump, the mean tweets and the weird things he says. And yet just explain to the audience what he did when it came to Palestinian aid, when he got in there and what Joe Biden did. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, right? It's like Joe Biden was supposed to be the serious guy after after the mean tweets, you know, Trump guy. And he's so much less serious to me. I think that, look, whatever you think of Donald Trump, he had people around him giving him really good advice and the cutting off the funding to Palestinians to the, you know, to the Gaza Strip. It, it helped. It helped contain them for a while. Um, I think that what what we're seeing right now is just capitulation. And again, if this money ends up somehow helping the Gazans and freeing the hostages and all of that, I will be the first to celebrate it. It is not because Joe Biden has a D after his name that I that I don't like it. I don't like it because I think that all of this money is just going to go to further terrorize Israelis, further terrorize uh, all people in, in that region who don't abide by the Hamas code. And I don't see how it doesn't end up in Hamas hands. They keep telling us but the that UN is going to oversee everything. it, Carol. The, U the okay. UN is, I'm sure they're going to yeah, help oversee it. <laughs> Fear not. Right. Yeah, the UN, um, they're going to be right on it, I'm sure. Um, the UN also loses millions of dollars every year. Like, where did it go? I don't know. Um, and, and the UN hates uh, Israel. Yeah, well, that's th th for sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith that this money is going to go towards drinking water or building up their electricity grid or anything like that. Um, it's going to be stolen by Hamas to use for bad ends. You know, Bethany, there was this report from Open the Books that said that outlaid the numbers pretty, pretty strongly, saying they found um, 
Biden administration spent more than one billion from U.S. taxpayers on, quote, aid to Palestinians. It's mm-hmm. proposing sending another 260 million in its fiscal year 2024 budget request, not yet approved by Congress. And that they're talking about how Trump in August of 2018 imposed a freeze on all of this. The, the Wall Street Journal praised the move, the move because they were saying that Hamas has what's known as a pay for slay policy. Actually, the Wall Street Journal had published this a year before he did it, where you get rewarded as a Hamas fighter for all the dead Jews you can you can make happen. And and therefore, you know, we're giving this aid. We've been under Biden giving this aid to quote the Palestinians, which is kind of pretending it's not going to wind up in Hamas's hands. Yeah. Um, all of my niceness about Joe Biden from five minutes ago is not here. It's not present on that. Um, it is disgusting and it would be awfully nice. And I'm speaking to the many Hill staffers and members of Congress who listen to your show. It would be awfully nice if Republicans could get their act together and have a speaker of the house and be able to function as adults who run the legislature, who control the purse strings to try to prevent this from happening. But, you know, Nancy Mace has to show up with an A on her shirt and make a whole thing about her. And Matt Gates has to stand up and fundraise off of his insolence. Like, it would be really nice for the grownups to be in charge of, of the House again um, so that we could do something about it. But, you know, I guess that, like, people care more about becoming a household name than actually doing their jobs and serving the American people and serving our interests. But, you know, if you decide you want to actually be grownups again, maybe maybe vote on a speaker and get this done. Yeah, I did. We actually did just hear this morning that now Jim Jordan says he's yep. going to support the temporary speaker staying as temporary speaker. OK, I mean, honestly, like I haven't been covering this much at all. I couldn't give a shit. I'm so pissed. Like yeah. they all suck. I mean, this is why get I back to me when you have a decision. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. respect any of you. I can't stand no. you people. You can't run like a very simple bot. It's not like you're a Senator. You're really not even that important. You don't have that no. many responsibilities. All you have to do is run for reelection every two years. I mean, really like it's, you can have absolutely no education and no, know nothing about life and win a seat in U.S. Congress. Hi, Ilan Omar. Hi, Rashida Tlaib. Hi, Cory Bush. You may be the worst of them all. Just a stupido. OK, so I, I don't care. Get your shit in order. The Republicans just as bad. Almost. I wouldn't say just, but almost as bad. So get back to me when you have somebody. OK, that's that's my take. Uh, more with Kat, more with Bethany and Carol coming up right after this. Don't go away. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. So there was an insurrection on Capitol Hill yesterday. <laughs> now, by the Democrats' definition, there was an insurrection where a group of unruly protesters stormed the Capitol, interfering with legislative business, and they were very pissed off about Israel. They're very they're not ba- they're not mad about the dead babies. They're mad about what's happening in Gaza. And of course, Rashida Tlaib was their leader. 
encouraging them. I'll show you a little bit of the protest, and then we'll get to what she said. Here's Sot 2. serving prison terms right now uh, uh, for the January 6th behavior that, that that was less than that. There are guys in prison right now who did less than that on January 6th mm-hmm. um, who have been had the book thrown at them. But I guess it's fine if it's in the name of Palestinian rights. Uh, and remember how uh, it was, well, Matt Gates I think, was one, and also uh, one of my favorite senators, Missouri Senator Josh, why am I forgetting his name right now? Um Holly, hello. All I could think Holly. was H-O-L-L-Y, and I knew it was wrong. H-A-W-L-E-Y, <laughs> Holly. I really like that guy. He got such shit for giving a thumbs up at some of the protesters on Jerry's. I mean, it was like a story in all the news. All I did was a thumbs up. Rashida Tlaib was their leader yesterday. She was their leader. She, she, she wanted more, more, more. Okay, we'll see what happens to her. Pro tip, it'll be nothing. Here mm-hmm. she was, once again, peddling disinformation about that hospital bombing, which was done by Islamic Jihad, not Israel. Here she is refusing to accept that fact. Continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry and like, let them cry. And they're shaking and somebody, you know this, they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic. They do, they can cry, I can cry, we all can cry. If we're not crying, something is wrong. And so I'm telling you right now, President Biden, not all America's with you on this one. And you need to wake up and understand that. We are literally, literally watching people commit genocide. We will remember this, but all of you, you need to know. I swear to God, Allah, you are on the right side of history. Wow, a lot of energy for the Palestinians. Don't remember seeing that for the murdered children in Israel from her. And does she care about the hospital bombing? You know, yeah. now that we know that it wasn't Israel, of course she doesn't. Um, she and at that. that point, you know, she at that point, we she knew was, already she continued that it to lie about it. That's right. 
So, I mean, I, I see her and I see all those people in the Capitol as actors here because they know what the truth is. They're trying to lie to us. And I really also think that people like them are responsible in such a large way for what goes on in that region. Um, the Palestinian supporters in the West have done so much damage to the Palestinian cause. Do we remember when AOC had to walk back her support for a two-state solution? Two-state solution used to be what liberals and most of the left believed in. They don't believe in that anymore. They want one state called Palestine, river to the sea, with no Israel. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And the longer that people believe that it might happen, that's what leads to these atrocities. And people like her are responsible for this happening because they let the, the, the hope live that someday Israel won't exist. That will never happen. Bethany, yeah. there she was crying. I just, <laughs> this is, okay, here she is a week ago. Okay, just a week ago. Just a reminder, watch. Do you condone what Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street? You have no comment about children's heads being chopped off? She's disgusting that she, her actual feelings are perfectly well on display in those two clips, Bethany. Yep. Yep. And, and speaking of actors, piggybacking on what Carol said, all of the coverage that happened yesterday in, in the Capitol, the the cryon, the description on the bottom, even on Fox News said Jewish Chiron. groups. Chiron, yeah. thank you. I can never say that correctly. Um, <laughs> it said Jewish groups. They're, they were not Jewish. They were using holy garments as tokens. They, they were wearing a talus, which is normally used in morning mm -hmm. prayers and morning prayers only. And they wore it. They wore yarmulkes and masks, of course, because they can't let go of that religion either. But they're wearing yarmulkes and taluses. They had to like rent them from the local, I don't know, Judaica store because they don't own them. They're not religious Jews. They were not representative of the vast, vast majority of American Jews. And even lefties, by the way, so many of my liberal Jewish friends have been completely red-pilled because they're seeing stuff like Ilhan Omer. And they're like, oh, well, she, you know, Maybe maybe there's maybe the wolf is right outside the door and there's the 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 wheels are starting to turn a little bit and liberal Jews are starting to realize, oh, it turns out all of these people want me dead. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, I'm going to have to pass. Yeah. Alan Dershowitz <laughs> was doing a bit on these um, Jews for uh, it was Jewish, Jewish voices, voices for, for peace. 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 And he did a great bit on his show yesterday about how they're none of those things. Those protests, they're not mm -hmm. Jewish. <laughs> they don't really have actual voices. Uh, it's all, you know, astroturf and they don't want peace. So it yep. was, you know, they, they tried to say, like, oh, and the media ran with it. Like Jewish groups join in the protest, you know, demanding yep. peace. That's not true at all. And it's, of course, just perfect on, on the back of the hospital misreporting that we have more misreporting and an insurrection that nobody cares about. Carol, I mean, it's just like it hits all the things like disinformation when it confirms your priors, more different yeah. disinformation, doubling down on the lies she's already told, insurrection that the Democrats don't give a damn about. Like every, you can understand why there are Trump voters today. Like, <sighs> right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand how invading the capital isn't a crime. I was told that it absolutely is, and it's it's you know a crime of sedition, and and you you absolutely will be arrested. Why isn't that happening? I mean, a few people were arrested, I think, for assaulting a police officer. Um, so it was actually also violent. Uh, I I think that we're seeing this double standard, and it also goes back to the whole: these college kids are protesting, uh, you know, in favor of Hamas. Um, they're they're saying the most despicable things. They've turned the paragliders into some kind of heroes, and now they want to be not named. They don't want their future employers to know about them. Well, I'm sorry. Here is the double standard, and you're going to be happy. You're going to have to live under the rules that you created for the rest of us. You started this cancel culture, and now you have to live as a part of it. I I feel the same way about all the people that were in the Capitol yesterday. We were told that on January 6th that, you know, walking into the Capitol, however peacefully you want to say that you are, is a, a huge crime. Well, I'd like to see some accountability in that case. And I'd like to see Republicans push for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's see what the prison sentence are, the sentences are for these mm -hmm. guys. Let's let's follow these cases. Let's get Julie Kelly on it. The only honest reporter on the January 6th trials and see what she finds. I have a feeling it's going to look a lot different, Bethany. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would push back a little bit and I'm hearing this question a lot from reporters and editors and everything. Well, don't you support cancel culture if you think that these folks should lose their jobs? And no, there is a line between saying something mean um, and inciting violence. And what we saw from yeah, or Rashida stupid, mean or stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah. in one category. Supporting yeah. terror is in a different. Yeah. Sorry, mm -hmm. keep going. No, I mean, you said exactly thank you. And you're better at talking. I can't even say the word cryon or curron, whatever it is. Chiron, thank you. I still can't do cry it. cry on like, the brain because of the Rashida Tlaib oh, clip. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's incitement to violence. Like I, there, there is there is a line here on what you are allowed to say. And I'm sorry, supporting the, the torture and murder of Jewish babies or just babies in general, like as a human yeah. being, like, Sorry, we found the line and and they they just don't understand that you're not so supposed to say the quiet I, part out loud. I don't think it's illegal. I don't think it's unlawful incitement. I just think it's grounds for never getting a job again. Like I'm yeah, not absolutely. for me. I if, if you yeah. want to hire those people, good luck to you. Good luck to your Jewish employees. Um yeah, but right? the the like this the notion that they shouldn't wind up on a list that mm -hmm. thoughtful employers can consult to find out mm -hmm. who's a terrorist sure. sympathizer is insane yep. to me. Carol, I did this because I saw your piece the other day um, mm -hmm. on cancel culture needs to come for college kids. But I agree with Bethany. It's not exactly cancel culture. Um, but I just went back for kicks. And I, I like this website, um, The College Fix. They, mm -hmm. they keep an eye on campus craziness mm -hmm. just to see, like, what are some of the most recent examples of the nuts stuff that has gotten people canceled? And I wrote down a couple of notes. OK, um, UNLV just apologized for using the word picnic. It will change it to lunch by the lake. I don't know what's wrong with picnic. I don't give a shit. I don't care enough to go find out. Right. Uh, Michigan State Law School, the ABA recently recognized it, according to FOIA documents that they got their hands on, recognized it and, and applauded it for removing the Spartan helmet from Michigan State's marketing materials because this could be triggering to sexual assault victims uh, because of Spartans. Which oh, <laughs> Okay. Wait, I got to give you a couple so more. Can can we rewind oh. for a second? Okay. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll give you the couple more then, and then you assault? rewind. Hold no, on. They me, care I'll about sexual okay. assault, but not of Jewish women. Go. No, no, no. Correct. Exactly. That's not triggering at all. University of Missouri fired a white cop for wearing the dark makeup, which they now call blackface, to be Flava Flav 
before he was ever hired by the university. Somebody discovered an old picture of this cop doing it. You know, mm-hmm. okay. Um, Northwestern student government president told students not to eat tacos or drink tequila on Cinco de Mayo because it's triggering and it's dehumanizing to Mexicans. Okay. Then here's another one. The Princeton acapella group was singing the Little Mermaid song by the crab, Sebastian the crab. There's a line in it that reads that says, go on and kiss the girl, kiss the girl. Well, they encouraged a couple from the audience to come up on stage and encourage the guy to kiss the girl. And they got in trouble because this was promoting a heteronormative attack on women. (laughs) And it elevated the song to an offensive and violating ritual. All Mm -hmm. those people are now telling us that it is fine to go out and cheer for the eradication of Israel and Jews and to cheer on the terror and murder on mass of Jewish children, civilians, women, pregnant women. We could go down the list, Carol. The absurdity of these people. I mean, they're they're ripping that tequila out of my cold, dead hands on Cinco de Mayo. I am drinking Same. tequila that day and absolutely having tacos. I love tacos. Um, I Suck that's it. the thing. <laughs> they've they've set these insane standards and they absolutely refuse to live by them. I, I don't know. We can call it cancel culture or not. I also think like a lot of the people who are being videotaped or photographed. Uh, taking down the pictures of the kidnapped children uh, in Gaza. Uh, I don't have any problem with them being targeted at their jobs. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to go to a dentist that tore down a a picture of a five-year-old being held hostage in Gaza. And I don't feel comfortable getting in an MRI machine with an MRI technician that did the same thing. So I'm all about expose them all, name them all. You can call it cancel culture. You know, uh, Mehdi Hassan from MSNBC said, oh, conservatives used to be really into free speech. Well, yeah, well, you won that battle and we no longer are. So congratulations. Yeah, I exactly. And honestly, like we we talked about this a couple, I don't know, years ago, Candace Owens had on some, I can't remember the, the woman's name, but they had a big debate on whether Republicans, conservatives, people who are against cancel culture should start doing it to teach a lesson. And Candace mm-hmm. Owens was very much on the side of let, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's teach a lesson. Same. Yeah. I agree. It's we tried the high ground. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. The only thing that works is canceling their asses so they can understand what a bad game it is. But this discussion is an entirely different lane. This is terror sympathizers. There's no debate. You're out. It's a no. Get out. Go enjoy your time with the students for justice for Palestine. Or you mm-hmm. can obviously get a job as a professor in any elite university in America because they love you. They love people like you. I'll give you the last word, Bethany. Yeah, I mean, I'm not spending my money or going under the needle with any of these terrorist sympathizers. This is not like I don't like their speech. It's is that is an existential threat to individual Jewish Americans and to the Jewish community at large, because I'm sorry, I'm afraid of a guy who will walk around ripping down posters of Jewish children who are missing and being tortured by people who who cut off the fingers and cut out the eyes of, of Jewish babies already. Like we are in a fight of good versus evil and people need to take a stand and understand that that is that is the reality on the ground here. Um, and, and, you know, cancel all their asses and destroy them because they've decided to side with Nazis. Yeah, that I completely agree. This is a different thing. This is the same as cheering on ISIS as it burned people in cages. It's the same Mm -hmm. as saying, you know, those guys who cut off poor Daniel Pearl's head, they had some points. You know, we should we should really listen and empathize. No, goodbye. It's over. 
It's over for us too, sadly. Bethany and Carol, love you, gals. Thanks for coming. Thank you on. so much, Megan. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, lots of love. Hang in there, Victor Davis Hanson. Up next. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are getting new information now. According to the Associated Press, Israel's defense minister today told ground troops at the border with Gaza to prepare to invade. But he did not say exactly when the invasion would start. At the same time, and you heard uh, the gals reference it in our last hour, Bethany said it, reports now that some 30 rockets have been fired from Lebanon into Israel today. We've seen uh, skirmishes, you know, increasing like minor attacks. I don't want to diminish them, but it's not the full on uh, scale of attacks that Lebanon could do for the past week or so. So, you know, we have to watch each one wondering where does this lead? Where does this lead? And is this something more than just a saber rattle? Joining me now, a guest who I told my team I needed to hear from this week. I've been following him religiously for a long, long time. He's brilliant. You know and love him too. Victor Davis Hanson. He's a senior fellow at the Stanford's Hoover Institution. He's also the author of the book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalism Are Destroying the Idea of America. And you can find his writings at his website, The Blade of Perseus. For people who are dumb like me when it comes to the classics, that's P-E-R-S-E-U-S. Victor, he's tried. He's tried to educate us, but we don't always listen the way we should. Great to see you. Great to have you. I know you've been watching the the military pieces of this. And in addition to all of your education, you're, you are an expert on, um, military conflicts over the course of history and, um, Lebanon, you know, like I said, they keep, they keep doing a little bit here, a little bit here. This isn't the full deal, but if Israel invades Gaza, there's a belief by some that they will get involved. That as soon as Israel goes into Gaza and with ground troops, you're going to see Hezbollah from Lebanon get involved in this thing and possibly even Iran. What do you think? Uh, I kind of a contrarian on that, Megan. In 2006, they did that to Israel and it had kind of a multi-front war. And as the economics minister of Lebanon said, I think last week, if we get into war with Israel, they're going to turn us back into the dark ages as they did in 2006. They haven't really recovered from 2006 and the IDF's air forces kind of made Beirut, especially the Shia districts, into rubble. Nasrallah ended up hiding in an embassy. And so I think is what they're going to do is send off 10 or 20 and find that soft spot they think 
that when Israel goes in, they can help Hamas and restrain, um, regain their streak cred or maintain it by saying, well, we were opening a second front and doing just enough to get a tit-for-tat response from the IDF because the IDF, they think, will be busy in Hamas. But they, they have over 500 aircraft, and they have the ability to level Beirut. And I think at this point, when you lose 1,200 of your civilians and another 200 soldiers, and they're murdered in the way they were, there's no restraints on Israel. And then there's the other fact is that, unlike these past tensions, we've got two aircraft carriers groups. It's 150 of our best planes, and they have the ability, if some crazy person sends a rocket against them or Iran does, to do the same thing to Beirut and to Tehran, and they know it. And I know that they have no respect for Joe Biden, but Joe Biden's being driven by events. He's not driving them now. He's reacting. And if they were to attack us or if they send a huge wave into Israel, there's nothing Joe Biden could do but to allow Israel to respond. And then, or I think he'd have to respond if they attacked us. So I don't think they're in such a good position, Iran is. And, and nobody likes them. I mean, the Western world, Europe's sick of them. Their new clients are should say their new patrons, Russia and China both have a long history of anti-Islamic, Islamic, you know, Wagers and Chechnya, and they put up with them, they find them useful, but they wouldn't intervene to protect Iran or, or Hezbollah. And most of the Arab world, it's so duplicitous that their attitude would be, well, we're going to condemn, you know, the infidels for attacking another Muslim group in Hezbollah are Iran, but privately they would call us up and say, but if you're going to do it, get rid of them for good. So I don't think they have a lot of allies and they're going to be very careful what they do. Mm, so interesting. All right. Let me ask you about this piece of analysis. Uh, I love the podcast commentary. And yesterday they had on an author named Jonathan Shanzer, who seems to have some connection or some, some info uh, connected with the Israeli government because he was speaking like a man who knew. That's my speculation from listening to him. But this is, he said a lot of interesting things, but one of them was, he said, um, Hamas has only 10% of what Hezbollah has in terms of rockets. And Hezbollah's got a lot more rocket power than Hamas does. And that Hezbollah may now have precision guided rockets. Um, so they would be a potential threat to Israel. But he was adding to this that there are meetings right now in the Israeli government. And I guess there's a war council of three people it's Netanyahu and two others who are going to make the decision about what Israel does next. So Netanyahu doesn't have sole decision-making authority. He's not the commander-in-chief like our guy is, you know, who could make who could make the call on something like this alone, um, though he'd need Congress to declare war technically in America. They're debating whether they should just do a ground invasion into Hamas, I mean, into Gaza, or whether they should, on their own, Israel, start it up with Hezbollah in Lebanon and just go for it full full bore on both fronts once and for all and that his information was Netanyahu only wanted to do one front that's Gaza and the one of the others wanted to do two fronts and so the third gentleman on this council is going to be the decision maker but I mean what do you think of that possibility that Israel might start it up with both Hezbollah and ground invasion in Gaza well, I think that's a very 
realistic assessment because how many times do they have 150 of the world's best pilots right off their coast in America? And how many times do they, are they presented with an existential threat that if this happens again, there won't be an Israel? You can't have a nation and allow people to go in. And we know that people and kill and murder and rape and torture and mutilate the way that Hamas did. And Hamas is an entity of Iran as is Hezbollah. So in their way of thinking, at some critical point, they're going to wait for Hezbollah to have a volley, and there's going to be a magical number on Israel's side, which is going to allow them to, you know, go back and hit. And when we say a thousand sites, 10,000, 100,000, what we're talking about are hidden all over Beirut. And so they're not going to, there's no way they can be discriminate. They have to go in and take them out. And they did that in 2006. And Lebanon's never recovered. Hezbollah knows that. And they know they're going to target the Hezbollah people. They look at what's going on in Gaza. So the other, I think it's realistic. And the other thing is when he has, when we say coalition government, that means people from the left. And it's a phenomenon in these Western societies. Ours is a good example when you have Biden, a man of the left, they stick with the left. So if Biden decides to do anything, there's not going to be a lot of people in the Senate or the House who say, you're a war criminal or that you're a Nazi in the way they did George Bush or Donald Trump. They're going to say, he's our guy and we're going to go with him. And the same thing in this coalition government. If the other person who is a little bit more hawkish than Netanyahu, who's a man of the left, and there's a good chance he is, or at least he's not in the Likud party, the, the Israeli left will be saying, you can do whatever you want. And usually the Israeli left is the person, the group, the people that we appeal to to calm down. You know, let's have a two-state solution, come on. But when they're for war because uh, their own leaders for war, then there's no restraint. I don't see any restraint on Israel, to tell you the truth. I don't think they're going to listen to Biden. I don't. I hope they don't. I don't see... Uh, I don't see a lot of Arab countries calling them up and saying, if you dare go into Gaza or you dare go into against Hezbollah, we're going to do this to you. I see them saying, we don't want any people from Gaza into Egypt, and they're not coming into Jordan, believe me. That's their attitude. And the Saudis' attitude mm -hmm. is, if you guys want to take them out, we're not. We're going to criticize you publicly, but we hope you, do, you finish it off. That's their attitude. I know that well, for a fact what I'm gathering because the, here is yeah. that the Palestinians, they're not well loved in the Arab world. I mean, it seems like everybody's like, oh, you know, they're a useful chess piece to attack Israel with every once in a while. We hate Israel. So they're useful in that way. But live with them? Hell no. They're, let them into our country? Uh, hard no. And so it is a question of whether they would actually get involved in a proxy war with the United States or take on Israel directly, which has a very formidable military on behalf of the Palestinians, these are just realities that seem to be pretty clear. They're, they're not, they don't have a ton of real support. That's true. And it applies to the other, they're all autocratic regimes. But when we give a billion dollars to the Jordanians, we give over that to the Egyptians. When they snub an American president on, based on a lie, and they knew it was a lie, but they knew their street knew it was a lie, but still was going to protest. And they had to side with the street over us. Part of that whole dialectic is that they look at us as weak after Afghanistan, after, you know, the Ukraine, after the Chinese balloon, after our own forest border, after all the riots with George Floyd. They look at us and they think to themselves, we're not going to go out on a limb 
against radical Islam for you guys. Now, if you were going to back us up and you were really going to take care of business with Hamas and Hezbollah, we might. But for now, we're going to sit on the fence and mouth the usual boilerplate that you're infidels and all of that stuff. And we don't want anything to do with you. But we, we're not going to get out ahead of you because you saw the limb off and we fall down. That's how they feel about this administration. And it's true, in and in unfortunately, in a, in a lot of way, and especially with Joe Biden now greenlighting $100 million, that'll end up, as you pointed out, fungible. It'll end up in Hamas's hands, or at least it will replace money the Iranians might have diverted for a little bit of humanitarian aid so that they can concentrate fully on tunnels and drones and uh, rockets. Well, let's talk about the the idea of American deterrence, because, you know, I mentioned this at the top of our first hour, we've got those two aircraft carriers and Joe Biden's clearly trying to be a deterrent force toward Iran, toward Hezbollah, toward anybody thinking about getting involved in what right now is limited to Israel versus Hamas. Um, I realize Joe Biden is perceived as feckless by many and for all the reasons you just said, but it's still two U.S. aircraft carriers, you know, still the United States military. So are we still a deterrent in the way that we need to be? Well, deterrence is based on two facts. One is the physical reality that you have the material wherewithal to strike and protect your interest and your friends. And the other is that you're either willing to use it or you're unpredictable, maybe even a little crazy. But if you're predictably not going to use your deterrent to protect your interests, that's worse than having nothing. Because in the enemy's mind, it's sort of, well, they have all this power, and yet they're so decadent and they're fallen so low, they wouldn't dare use it against us. And that that develops a, a, a further contempt. But I, again, I don't think Joe Biden is in charge of events. We have these two big targets out there. And if you want to send 100,000 guided rockets at them, you could sink them. I don't think they could stop that. And they know that. But they also know that if you were to do that, there would be no more Hezbollah. There'd be no more Beirut. There'd be no more Tehran. And they know that. And they know that Joe Biden may not order that, but there are forces in the Senate, the House, the American public that would demand that. And so they sit out there basically saying, what are you going to do about it? And that drives Iran crazy. I don't think Iran is in such a good position to tell you the truth. They're losing their their pawn that they've invested hundreds of billions of dollars to in Hamas. Uh, nobody likes them. The Ch their, their Chinese and Russian patrons don't like them. Uh, they, they, they like their drones, but they all, you know, Russia level Chechnya and China has a million Uyghurs. They're not particularly pro-Islamic. And I don't think the Arab world has anything but contempt or fear of Iran. And so who is their constituency if somebody were to attack them? I, I don't want that's necessary at this point, but there is no constituency would say, please don't do that. We love the Iranians or we're going to mm -hmm. come to the aid of the Iranians. And the Iran keeps saying that they've got a bomb or they're close to it, but maybe they, they probably don't yet. And so in the way I'm, I guess what I'm building up to is in the way of thinking of the Israelis and some people in the American government, that this occasion, if they start it and they demand that they're going to wage jihad against the Israelis or attack America, then you might as well get it over with. And it won't be a Fallujah, a Mosul, 
uh, Kandahar, Helmand province on the ground type of war, which is in their favor. It'll be an air you're campaign. You're talking about, wait, wait, just, just, just to be clear, you're talking war. about if Iran gets involved, if Iran gets involved, then the response will be finish, finish them? Yeah. Well, I mean, finish, not the Iranian people, but if Hezbollah attacks those carriers with rockets or Iran, Iran does, they know what will happen. Biden yes, or no Biden. And that yeah, will be it. the end of their infrastructure in Tehran and their nuclear deterrent. They know that. And they don't want to but give wait, that but up. But let me ask you this. But and I think, backing, backing up, like zooming out of Hezbollah and sticking with Iran for, you know, directly yes. for one second. Would yeah. they, I mean, one of the questions I'm, I have is whether they're just going to sit there after you point out they've invested all this money in Hamas. They'd love to see Hamas do, its, do their dirty work and take out Israel in however they can. So now if Israel goes in on the ground in Gaza and is actually making real progress taking out Hamas, does Iran sit by and let its investment fail? You know, let its, the, the, it's the head of the snake, but let the body of the snake die a quick death at the hand of the IDF? Well, it's not that it's not the question of whether they're going to let it. It's what's the alternative to letting them. And the alternative to letting them is opening the second front and experiencing what Gaza. The biggest danger, to tell you the truth, Megan, is not doing anything. Because then Iran says to themselves, well, they talked about going into Gaza, but they were restrained and all they did was bomb a little bit. And so if we went in, they wouldn't go into us and do that either. But if you go in and you have a righteous retribution and, and take out Hamas, then Iran is thinking, my God, the, the Israelis are angry and it's not going to be the same exchange of a few rockets tit and tat. So what are they doing now? They, they're they sending 10, 20, 30. Again, they're trying to find out how many rockets give that credibility in the Islamic world, but how many, what's the magic point when you do too many and you get a response? And so far, they've been pretty careful about finding that that medium, because after all, if you're going to send in 2,500 murderers and you plan it for a year and they're going to go into Israel and butcher and kill, then why, if you really are supporting that and you want to intervene, why don't you do it when Israel's surprised and do it on the northern front? They didn't do that. Mm -hmm. In fact, they, it was even worse than that. They planned it and then they told us, we support it. We're so happy. But you know what? We didn't plan it. We didn't, we didn't have anything to do with it. They kept saying that. They were adamant about that. And they were adamant because they didn't want to see Beirut suffer what they thought would be the fate of Gaza City, which is the fate of Gaza. And they know that. And so, you know, anybody who says they know what's going to happen in the Middle East is always kind of a fool. But I suspect that there's a greater likelihood that they're not going to intervene in a fashion that would save Hamas or open up a serious front. And if they do do that, I think people in Israel will see it as this is finally an existential war and it's time to get it over with for good. And they know that. And I think the United States put those carriers out there to A, to deter Iran, but more importantly, to say to Iran and Hezbollah that if you were to touch us, or if you intervene and Israel is threatened with an existential destruction, which I don't think it would be, but if it were, we're going to intervene. And, and of course, that would be preferable than to Israel going to DEFCON 1, you know, with nuclear weapons. We don't want that to happen. Right. So what do you think is likely to happen now as Israel tells the troops, 
because there's been some speculation. Are they going in or aren't they? Like, as you point out, the biggest, you know, message might be if they don't go in and might not be such a great message for Israel to send. Um, but there's been a lot of speculation. Like, what, what's taking them so long? You know, we're now, what, 12 days post 10-7 and they haven't gone in. They're lining up speculation about whether they're trying to negotiate for the release of these hostages. Be great if you could get the hostages out. But Hamas knows not to release the hostages. They know it's just going to make them sitting ducks if they do that. So these guys, these IDF you know, soldiers have quite a challenge in front of them, given the layout of Gaza, the way Hamas has been planning and the length of time they've been planning these underground you know, cities that they, they appear to have been building for God knows how long. How do you see all those challenges? Well, they're, they're quite great. But remember, they haven't been idle. They have done more damage to Hamas in Gaza City and the history of Hamas in Gaza City. And they're doing it systematically, taking out key installations, and there's no restraint on them. They're not telling us, we're sorry, this, we're not going to. They're just doing it. Every day, every 200, 300 strikes a day. And I think what they're trying to do is two things. Weaken the command and control structure of Hamas and send a message to the people of Gaza. Each day, your zealotry for these people is going to diminish a little bit because we're not going to attack you directly, but look at what they did to you. And they're and they're gonna they're putting you as shields. They're trying to stop you from going to and so it's to create internal dissension. And as they're doing this, they're also trying to debate, how do you go into this hellhole? And they look at, they have Americans saying, you know what, this is what happened when they went after ISIS in Mosul with the Iraqi army that we advised. Here's what we did in Fallujah. And I don't see it as, you know, just a one-dimensional invasion going in there. It's going to be more like, I think, if we can look at past precedents that were successful in, in really bleak landscapes, is to to target an area and go in and kill the Hamas people and get rid of the tunnels, then go out and do it more like ink spots than just one massive push everybody out. Because that's what we did in Fallujah. We kind of went in different directions and we 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 filtered out the, the, the civilians, but that was a pretty horrific place. We stopped once, but people forget that the United States Marine Corps, I was embedded and I, I went into Fallujah after they had got done with it. And I wouldn't want to been, have been in Fallujah is what I'm saying. Mm. So do you have any hope for them being able to extract these hostages? If it's obviously I, I, I wish I'm speaking I about militarily. Yeah, I think that depends a lot. And this is why I'm really upset about it, because when you look at the demonstrations on campus, and what university professors and administrators have said, or what the left have said, there's been no empathy at all. We used, to, I mean, think of it, Megan. We're we're we were willing to give 1.2 billion dollars per hostage to Iran for those five, and yet they killed 20 something Americans, and they've got another. I don't, we don't know exactly how many hostages, but there's no outcry that if you touch this hostage or you kill this hostage, this American, this is what we're going to do to you. And so, yeah, I am worried because they don't they have to know there's going to be a downside if they touch them. And we'll we'll see. But I don't know what we've communicated them. But when Anthony Blinken, you know, and Joe Biden say that give them one hundred million dollars or Joe Biden said yesterday that. The problem was that 
that Islamic Jihad couldn't shoot straight. And I guess what he meant was, mm -hmm. well, if that missile had have hit the target and killed Jewish civilians in Tel Aviv, then we wouldn't have had this problem because the street wouldn't have exploded in the Arab world. We wouldn't have had to give the 100 million. I wouldn't have been snubbed. It's the problem is Islamic Jihad didn't shoot straight. That's basically what he said. Well, what message does that convey to the hostage taker? So I'm really worried that we've we've got a a secretary of state, a national security advisor, and a president that don't understand the charter of Hamas and what they're up against. And uh, they keep thinking that the more magnanimity they show to radical Islamists and jihadists, the more it's going to be reciprocated in moderation, where in fact all evidence in the past says it's going to be reciprocated with more violence because it's going to interpret that as weakness to be exploited, not to be uh, returned in kind. Mm -hmm. yeah, you've been talking about sort of the sympathies that this administration clearly has shown toward uh, toward Iran and this utopian belief that they can extend the hand of friendship and somehow, you know, Robert Malley, what happened with him. Um, now we have a new uh, they want us to confirm this ambassador to Israel because we don't have one right now. This guy who was, you know, he lied to Congress. Jack he was Lube. responsible for giving them the pallets, Jack Lou, pallets full of cash. Like there, it just seems like at every turn you look inside this administration, what you find is Iran sympathizers or people who have this Pollyanna view toward Iran. Well, I mean, we picked when you when we appointed Robert Malley, we were saying that we want somebody to go well beyond what John Kerry had done under the, the Obama people. And that is, he would be pro-Iranian, and he's now accused, I don't allegedly, of disseminating classical uh, documents to somebody and to bringing in, as you said, sympathizers into the State Department. And Iran looks at that; they look at the release of the sanctions and the oil sanctions where they got tens of billions of dollars. They have attacked us reportedly. I don't. I haven't checked the accuracy, but the media says 83 times they've attacked Americans and we've only retaliated for three or four times. And then these drones that are coming from Iranian-backed militias in Iraq attacking Americans and then giving... So we've done all of this despite all of these prov provocations and they keep upping the ante. And we gave the money back. As soon as they came in, they restored the UN refugee money. I think now Blinken was over there in February of this year saying that bragging to Abbas that we'd given him an aggregate billion, I think. And so they don't interpret that as anything other than somebody really wants to like them and appease them and make sure they're happy. And unfortunately, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Whereas if you're deterrent, you have a large military and you don't say anything and you're quiet with a big stick rather than loud with a twig, then you create deterrence. And we had deterrence under Donald Trump. We really did. We took out Soleimani. They knew that if they attacked us, what was going to happen to them? We bombed ISIS into oblivion. We upped the military budget. We moved. The, we allowed the Israelis to go to uh, Jerusalem, we allow uh, the embassy, the Golden Heights, and each one of those occasions that we were told that the Iranians were going to react or the Hamas was going to do this, and they didn't. It's because they were, they understood first that we had reason to do that, and second, that we were unpredictable and powerful rather than predictably weak. 
You know, I, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was at Fox when Barack Obama was running for president and it was 2008 and they were having yes. the debates. I believe it was at the debate. It was still a primary yes. debate before he'd secured the nomination. And he got asked a question. It was 2007. He got asked a question and he gave this answer that would become news for several days. And I remember listening to Charles Krauthammer tear this answer apart on special report the next night. I actually had them pull it so we could watch it because I do think this was the beginning of this massive change that the United States has had under its democratic presidents toward Iran. What, what was, I believe, a gaffe got turned into U.S. policy. Not this specific thing, but this open-mindedness, extend the hand of friendship thing toward Iran. Here was the moment from 2007. Would you be willing to meet separately without precondition during the first year of your administration in Washington or anywhere else with the leaders of Iran, Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, and North Korea? I would. Uh, and the reason is this, that the notion that somehow not talking to countries uh, is punishment to them, uh, which has been the guiding uh, diplomatic principle of this administration, is ridiculous. Now, Ronald Reagan and Democratic presidents like JFK constantly spoke to Soviet Union at a time when Ronald Reagan called them an evil, evil empire. And the reason is because they understood that we may not trust them, they may pose an extraordinary danger to this country, uh, but we have the obligation to find uh, areas where we can potentially move forward. July 23rd, 2007. What do you make of it? Yeah, that was utter ignorance. It was historically ignorant because Ronald Reagan surely didn't want to talk to Castro. He didn't want to talk to Gaddafi because they had no deterrent. He talked to the Soviet Union because they had 7,000 nuclear weapons pointed at us and they were putting missiles into Germany at our allies. So he had no choice. And that was the rules of the Cold War. So, But I wish I could say that it was just naivete with Iran, because I remember the Iran deal of 2015 and 16, and Ben Rhodes said, you know, we fed them uh, an echo chamber of news, and they know nothing, these 30-something reporters. What he was saying was that we enacted a policy centered around the Iran deal, but it was even earlier. Remember when he came in the first year, the Iranians rose up thinking that Obama was some kind of revolutionary uh, empathetic figure in the, in the West. And the Green Revolution in Iran had a million people on the street. He didn't say a word for 11 days. He, in other words, he didn't want that to, to succeed because it would upset his grand vision of the Middle East. And what was it? We know what it was. It was to empower Iran and by extension, the Assads in Syria. And remember, they said, there's a red line if they move around, we're going to do that. He did nothing. And Hezbollah, and by extension, Hamas, and this was going to, to lead to creative tension against, and he didn't like the, the Gulf sheikdoms, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, the Emirates, and then Israel. He really detested Israel. And then we would withdraw, lead from behind, and this creative tension, yin and yang, wharf and whoop, that at, at key points we would say, and say, now listen, Israel, don't do this, or listen, Iran, you're getting a little bit 
too excessive, but there would be no moral distinction between a murderous theocracy and a humane constitutional in Iran and a, main, a humane constitutional government in Israel. He wanted to empower that crescent, what they call the Shia crescent. And this is the logical fruition of that policy is what we're looking at now. An out of control yes. Iran that kills three, you know, is it three million Yemenis have been killed or wounded, and they have a proxy war there. They've destroyed Lebanon. Uh, they're in Syria. Syria is a wasteland. Uh, they're killing Americans. They're trying to destroy that fragile government in Iraq. They've armed Hamas to the teeth. They're trying to destroy by proxy Israel. That's the legacy of the Obama plan. And that's why, for to be frank, that's why for 72 hours he was paralyzed when people asked him to comment about the murdering of Israeli civilians. But what was he going to say? Was he going to say, well, I, I had a rapprochement. I had detente with all these people and it didn't work. I'm sorry. He's not going to say that. He didn't know what to well, say. And, it, and it's all, I mean, it all kind of comes together because I heard you on your podcast, which I love and I recommend to everybody, talking to Jack Fowler, our friend, and he he was raising with you Valerie Jarrett. I did not realize that Valerie Jarrett was raised in part in Iran. Yes, she was. Her parents were I did not realize that. that yeah, Valerie, and then there was Jack Lew, this guy we just talked about, who's been nominated to be our ambassador to Israel. He was with the Obama administration, Robert Malley, all these things that we just talked about. It all started under Obama. But Go so, ahead. but so, got to remember that Robert Malley was their Hamas advisor for Obama, and he was the ISIS advisor. So their policy that blew up and that Trump took care of with ISIS—that was Robert Malley's territory under Obama. And then we got to remember too that Jake Sullivan worked for Joe Biden under Obama. So did Anthony Blinken. This whole foreign policy team is to be frank, it's just a, a third term of the Obama foreign policy. And Joe Biden, you know, it's kind of cruel to say that, but, you know, he's a construct. He's not making these active decisions. The, the Obamas are. They're continuing this. And it's, it's, in, it's led to nothing but death and destruction. And it's really, it's really amoral to see what's going on when we have, it's paralyzed. I mean, Right now, Megan, we're looking at people in Europe that have more moral clarity than this administration's people do. That's really, I've never seen that before. The French are, are better on what Hamas is really like and what happened in Israel than we are. When Joe Biden talks about the radical elements, the more radical elements of Hamas, what does he mean? That Hamas is a legitimate organization that's been hijacked by a few radicals? That's not true. And what does Anthony Blinken mean when his first reaction to the killing the killing in Israel, the abject murder, is to meet with a Turkish foreign minister and call for a ceasefire. If you or I said to the Ukrainians, just as public commentators, if we said when Russia invaded, we think this is a cycle of violence. You've had a long history. It leads to nothing. We urge you to have a ceasefire. And if they didn't, we said, right. listen, Ukraine, we want you to avoid all infrastructure. Do not hit that bridge. Do not hit that port. Do not hit that harbor. Uh, without first notifying the Russians that there might be civilians in the area. And by the way, we want all your responses to be proportionate. And we've said the opposite. We've said, you know what? You're going to go up, you're going to defeat Russia, and you've got to be disproportionate, and we're going to give you all the wherewithal to keep on fighting. And yet we don't do that to our closest ally in the Middle East. The question is why? 
Yeah. Well, what is it about Israel? And truly, look at America after 9-11. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we know the answer. about proportionate response, it would not have gone over so well. No. If you were, I said that, uh, if you said this, Megan, on your podcast, Megan Kelly says, well, I support uh, the Ukrainians, but I, I don't like the cycle of violence. And I want them to notify when they have to get near civilian targets. And I want them to respect uh, the Russian leadership and understand that the, Putin does not speak for the Russian people. And this is a cycle of violence. And we want only proportionate uh, responses as we work on a peace process and negotiations. And we want a, a, a theater-wide ceasefire. I think they would force you off the air. They try to. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I think they would have been laughed out of the country if they had said it to us after 9-11, yeah. after Pearl Harbor, you know, I mean, there are, exactly. there are real reasons to, to understand. Anytime you have a proportionate dest destruction of the yeah. His Historically, a, pro a proportionate response leads to deadlock and further death. And we had said after Pearl Harbor, well, we're going to go hit Yokohama and try to, to destroy six battleships and call it quits. Or we could have said to the Israelis, Okay, uh, here's what we're going to let you do. You can take 2,500 gunmen, go into Gaza and murder uh, 1,200 men, women, women, mutilate them, burn them, and then we'll stop. That would be a proportion. And that's not how wars end. That's what you said. I, I quoted you the other day. You said, show me the war that is ended after a, quote, proportionate response. I don't know anything. The Civil War did not end when Ulysses S. Grant was outside Richmond and Robert E. Lee was entrenched in Richmond and we had Cold Harbor and Seven Days and all of this bloodletting and they were both proportionate. One side was trying to get into Richmond, one was dug and it wouldn't let, it ended when William Tecumseh Sherman went down and burned Atlanta and then he made a swath 150 miles through Savannah and ridiculed and humiliated the Confederacy. And then they said, you've got to stop it, Savannah. And he said, no. And he went through South and North Carolina with 100,000 of the best soldiers in the world and pulled up behind Robert E. Lee and said, you want me to do it again? And they surrendered. And that was a disproportionate response. And nobody ever quite thought he would do that. How can you burn down a plantation and free slaves? And he said, you started it and we finished it. And, you know, he was hated for 100 years, but he didn't kill a lot of people. I'm not saying that disproportionality means death. It just means using a level of force that gets the attention to, of the enemy that they're going to lose either now or in the late, later, but they're going to lose. And mm -hmm. that's how wars end. And it's and we got the morality all haywire. This is amoral what we're doing, putting restraints. If you keep restraining Israel and you keep telling them what they can do and what they can't do, and you treat them like a third world barbaric nation, rather than a sophisticated constitutional society that just suffered the worst peace, so-called peacetime death in its history. And you keep restraining, then you'll get Hezbollah to enter on the premise that they're weak and they can't respond. You let them go and have confidence in their humanity and their ability to, to kill the killers. And I have a feeling that Hezbollah won't do anything. But mm. that's counterintuitive to our prevailing wisdom. Show restraint. Find just the radical uh, elements in this jihadist organization, which otherwise is not completely radical. Uh, talk to them. Bring in this, that. And I think Iran will make the necessary adjustments when they see that. And it won't be good. Yeah, that's what we've seen so far. Oh, such an interesting discussion. VDH, you're the best. Stand by.
More with him on the opposite side of this break. I'm loving, loving his expertise. You, I, I know you feel the same. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We learned today, oh, this is such so sad, uh, about the fate of a little Israeli girl whose photo went viral after she went missing after the Hamas terror attack on 10-7. Her picture went viral because she was wearing a Harry Potter-inspired costume in the photo. The image was viewed more than 26 million times. It was also shared and commented on by J.K. Rowling, of course, the creator behind Harry Potter. Look at this sweet girl. Her name is Noya Dawn. She was 12 years old, and she was on the autism spectrum. According to her family, Israeli Defense Forces found her body oh, alongside her grandmother, close to the Gaza border. She had gone to her grandmother's that day for a sleepover. Before Noya was taken, her mother says she left a voicemail on her phone. Noya described hearing loud explosions. All the windows in grandma's house are broken at the entrance because there was another boom. Noya could be heard saying in Hebrew before moaning the word, mommy. Oh my God, that's a lot. That's a lot. These are, Victor, these stories are so heart-wrenching, but they're important to tell, right? Because it's like so easy to get into, we're not getting involved. You know, we're not, uh, stay, this is somebody else's, you know, people go hard. I know you yeah, can't be too emotional because you have to make rational decisions, but you know, you have to re remind yourself of what Hamas did in order to get a perspective. You, you do. I, I wish the people on my campus and other campuses would just take a deep breath and say, Gaza was independent. It was autonomous since 2006. It had hundreds of billions of dollars pour in from the Arab Gulf, from Europe, from us, from the UN. It had every opportunity to create Singapore. And in its own charter, it said it would never do that. It was pledged to destroying Israel. And then even some of the Hamas people in a very cynical, snide way that were in gutter of all places, safe and affluent, we're not going to make us Singapore. We never thought we fooled the Jews into thinking that we were concentrating on domestic affairs when we weren't. We've been playing this ha-ha for a year. And how does that translate? It translates into killing people, little girls mutilating. And I wish those protesters would think that when they say the things they do, Palestine to the sea and this and that colony, they're talking about at a time of peace, an autonomous Gaza Strip sent gunmen in to butcher and kill innocent civilians at a holiday and partly at a rock concert, a, a rave. So they knew people would be innocent. 
and unarmed and young. And then they took like as if they were Aztec captives going up to Temporal Major to be sacrificed. They took captives with them back. It was the most horrific thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, or you saw or anybody seen. Little girls seen. like Noya. That's what you're talking about. Little girls like Noya. You're talking about murdering little girls like Noya when you chant that slogan and say your terrible things. And and little girls just like her who are right now in Hamas custody, whose pictures are posted even all over the United States, just in a, an act of desperation to yeah. find them. How do you somehow. stop that? And, the, you... and people tearing them down, people tearing down no. the, the hostage no. post is. Post and how do they how do you stop people from doing that? And don't tell me you do it by withdrawing from Gaza and giving them aid and another hundred million because we've done that. And all all people have to do is read the 1988 Hamas charter and it's all there. And look at I this. Think the this, only this good guy, that, yeah. this guy right here, just FYI, this is the Miami dentist, yes. right? That this guy's a Miami dentist, Ahmad El Kusa on the left. The other guy is Zave Ramul on the right. Ramul is an Instagram model. Ahmed is a dentist pulling down the pictures of the missing. And um, we've been updated today. Ahmed is no longer working at the dental office. Well, good, good. Thrilled he lost his job. He, he's heartless. How would you like to send a Jewish patient into his dental chair? My God. And Victor, I, well, another update on a, a lunatic yeah. on the left, this Mika Tosca, Associate professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, one of the best respected design institutes in America. She tweeted out or Instagrammed out an apology for a post she made yesterday. Now, I'll just give you a flavor of her apology. Yesterday, I wrote some things on my Instagram story that I unequivocally reject, and I do not stand behind. I'm deeply sorry for writing what I wrote and for hurting many people with my words. And I'm especially sorry to Israeli people that I broadly placed at fault for the war. You didn't deserve that. I was wrong. I know my words perpetuated harmful stereotypes. I allowed my reaction to the violence in Israel and Palestine, my reaction to the violence in Israel, oh, okay, really, and Palestine to take an inappropriate and offensive form. So what did she post yesterday? Did she post um, free Palestine? You know, I'm on team Hamas, which would have been bad enough. No, no. What she posted was, this is the day before, Israelis are pigs, savages, very, very bad people. Irredeemable excrement. The propaganda has been downright evil. After the past week, if your eyes aren't open to the crimes against humanity that Israel's been committing and has committed for decades and will continue to, then I suggest you open them. It's disgusting and grotesque. May they all rot in hell. Well, she's really sorry for the words she used. She was yeah. just a little angry and upset about the violence, I guess, against the Israelis in addition to the Palestinians. <laughs> Doesn't really sound that way. No, my reactions are twofold. One, the apology came because she was facing some consequences and they think they have a blank check. And whenever they have the slightest bit of pushback, they go hysterical and kind of go full juicy Smollett victim status. And that's what she did. <laughs> if somebody and nobody had ever said anything, this is what's going to happen to you. She would have never apologized. My other concern is, I know you've talked about it. What is this phenomenon where we have people from Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and Egypt and Jordan and Gaza and Palestine, and they are suffering under dictatorship, corruption, sexism, homophobia, you name it, uh, death and destruction. And they come as refugees over to the United States and they, and they get, as they expect, security, freedom, 
prosperity, first generation, even second generation. And they use that platform and that success and that blanket of security to do what? To champion the very systems and the very type paradigms that they fled from. So here they have all these people in the safety of America, who was a very generous host and invited them or let them come in here. And what are they doing? They're saying, Great for the Hamas dictatorship, wonderful for the Palestinian autocracy. Great, great, great. But I don't want to ever go back there. And I do not ever want to praise the conditions that made it very nice for me. I would never do that. So I want both ways. And I think at some point we're going to have to say, you know what? The best thing that Donald Trump ever did was slap a travel ban on about eight countries that sponsor terrorism. And we don't have to give you a visa. We do not have to give you a student visa. We w- And we should t- take a hard look because we don't want that type of hatred imported here and that hypocrisy to use uh, right. our magnanimity to espouse hatred. I think we're, I think Americans- yeah, Marco are Rubio much- has been out there saying, and Ron DeSantis yeah. was on our show the other day saying, if these protesters, so-called protesters are here protesting in favor of Hamas and they're on student visas, Goodbye. They're being yanked. Yeah. Go home to the countries you seem to love so much. Enjoy your time there. Victor Davis Hansen, the one and only. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Megan. Love today's show. I hope you loved it, too. Uh, Victor was amazing. Bethany and Carol, too. Uh, need to be having these conversations. More to come tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today and all week. We'll talk more tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.